Hi, and welcome to the Compassionate Achiever podcast. I'm Tracy Day, and I'm here with Dr. Chris Cook, Professor of Political Science and Social Science at WestCon. Welcome. Thank you, Tracy. And this is our first podcast for the Compassionate Achiever, which is your new book from HarperCollins. So excited. Loved the book. Thank you. Thank you. And it's, it was a blast to write. And what I'm hoping we get into from different aspects of the book, not only just the science of compassion, but how compassion leads to success, right? That to me is a secret that Darwin knew about, but the rest of us have forgotten. Well, I have to say that I am thrilled that we're doing this, and I'm so glad that you're here. Um, and and really, how this all came about was just seeing you by chance at the book opening. Thanks and for um, yeah, no, it was it was really great. And I kind of went under duress a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. No. I okay. Did. So why, no, why were you I under mean, duress? It was kind right. of. I, it was one of these things. I had a million things to do that night, and my husband wanted to go. And my family was going, and they were like, yeah, we all said we were going to go. We all RSVP'd. And, I, and that is one of my pet peeves, when people RSVP, and then they just bail. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'll go. So I have your husband to thank. Yeah, okay. you do, right. actually. And, and my daughter, who actually had you as a professor. I am so Carly. sorry. Yeah. Oh, Carly. <laughs> Carly. Oh, my gosh, yeah. yes. So she was really singing your praises and saying... I pay them well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Not just in grades, but no, I'm kidding. Um, but she was like, no, he's really great, and you should go listen to him. And I was like, okay, I'll go. How, how bad could it be? It's an hour and whatever. I was blown away. And um, it, it was. I found it fascinating. I, first of all, I thought you were very engaging. Your wife, Ellie... Uh, she did a great job of introducing you. I married way above me. Seriously, <laughs> way above me. Way above your pay grade. Well, I'm sure she would say the same thing. So that, that it all works out, right? That I mean, but um, no, I, I thought that that was really interesting. And you could tell how compassionate you are uh, towards one another, which was very infectious in that room. It was great. So... Um, well, thanks for anyway, coming. the evening was amazing. So then I, after we went through the evening, uh, we came home and we're talking about it. And um, Scott said, was the one that said, you know, you should do something with him. Like, he, he would be great. So then it just, you know, I all I needed was that one little spark. And then it just, like, ran with it. So anyway, well, here so we are. I'm glad you came to that because I, you know, it was bouncing around to do a project like this, but... I didn't think I had the time and then, you know, and you came right up and stepped up and said, okay, let's talk about this. And it got me all excited and got me, you know, jumping in and raring to go. And that night was special to me because it's the first, you know, book I have with HarperCollins and they've been a great publisher all the way from editing to marketing. And I wanted that night to be all local. That's why we had it at the Brookfield Library. And it seemed like it was. I mean, it seemed like you had a great crowd of local people and the people that stood up. Your teacher? <laughs> From high school. How adorable was she? <laughs> well, th that was the big surprise, right? 140 of them came. But then I wanted to have everything local. So all the food was local. That We had Candlewood Lake Coffee, which is great coffee. I should put a plug in for them. And for me, it was giving back to the community 
that gave me so much. I, I learned to read, and that the love of reading happened in that library when I moved from New York City to, to, to Brookfield. And so for me, it was a night to give back part of the success that we're having you know, with the Compassion Achiever, but to share it with everyone who made me who I'm becoming. Mm-hmm. And you know, to have my teachers there and have you there. And now to, it was a nice bridge because now I'm doing something with you that I never thought I'd do before. And, and you know, having you know, Scott and Pete here uh, in the podcast studios at Western Connecticut State University is just, this is rocking. And, and I just want to you know, have everyone who's ever listening that this podcast is about that feeling. And it's about more than the feelings, about how compassion will help you achieve success in different ways, right? And we're gonna have guests from all over the place in all different fields, business, music, uh, teaching, you name it. Students. Students, right? Anybody who has been a compassionate achiever. And it's about And everybody learning. has their own story. Yes, that's the beauty. Which we can all learn from, which is perfect. Yes, and you're right, Scott and Pete, who are producing this, I mean, this was a gift. You, know, you mentioned this, and I was like, wow, we hit the jackpot. We, we, we did. did. We did. So, thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you want to go from here? All right. So let's go back. You um, mentioned that you wanted to give back and, and to go back to the Brookfield Library because that's where it kind of all started, your love of reading. Yeah. So give us a little background of who is Chris Cook. Well, for me, I'm a, I'm a New York City-born kid who is actually a small-town guy because we moved out of uh, New York City and moved to Brookfield, Connecticut when I was uh, relatively young. And I felt very lucky because I've been surrounded by my grandparents. And mm-hmm. my grandparents were such a big factor to me. And then meeting my wife, uh, gonna be 30 years next May, you know, in high school. You know, she was a rival high school, Bethel High School. And the opportunities that people gave me uh, around and, and and the learning that I had both in the classroom and like in the football field or in cross country or on the track, you know, it was so much fun to learn and then also find out who I am. So one of the reasons we kind of started the Compassion Achiever is that there were things that my coaches said to me that just didn't feel right to me. You know, mm-hmm. so when I was playing football, I, I always tend to smile a lot because I, I feel lucky. I feel like, you know... I, we're given so much, and I think we take for granted a lot of things that that right around us all the time. The love that we have, you know, um, the, you know, when my kids have problems, I feel lucky that they have, pro- like, they're alive. Right. <laughs> I've got exactly. them. We, we can take care of them. And for me, it's, it's another way to learn to be a dad. But getting back to learning, my coaches told me I had to be ruthless. Right. I had to mm. be tougher. I had to care more about myself. It was self-preservation, cook, and. Survival of the fittest. Yeah, but it, whole, right, like, and you had to yeah. look out for individually for yourself. But I'm, I'm but I'm on a team. <laughs> yeah. oh, wait, I got all these other guys. Right, yeah. and we got to watch each other's back. And so for me, it was almost counterintuitive about how you know we are taught to learn how to succeed in life. And you know, you heard the um, we talked about this before the old adage, you know, nice guys finish last. Mm. But as I kept looking around. The good guys were finishing on top, and then they stayed there longer. And so it started in sports, and you know the, most, the best teams were the most compassionate towards one another. They looked out for each other, helped each other overcome problems. 
And they learned about each other. They listened to each other. And Pele said it the best, right? One of the greatest, for those that are pretty young, you probably don't know Pele, but the greatest soccer player of all time. And he talked about how you pass the ball to where you think that a guy's going to be. You don't pass the ball to the person. You pass it to where he's going to be. And that's, that's what makes a great soccer pass. Well, it's the same thing in life. In order to know where someone's going to be, you have to listen to them. You have to understand them. You have to take the time to learn about them. Have a feel for where they're going. Right. Yeah. And you got to respect that. So do you think people are, so it sounds like you were a compassionate person, fairly young, if that's, you know. My grandmother I'm jumping to <laughs> conclusions. I don't know you. I've only known you for a couple of months, but sounds like you were. So do you think people are born with compassion or do you think they learn it? It's, it's a learned trait. Both. Okay. Right. And so unless you're a psychopath and Tracy, if you are, you know, well, um, this will probably be <laughs> our only, be our only yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is it. And <laughs> you'd like to sign off now. And, <laughs> and I'd like to go get the yeah, cops. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, it, you, we are born with it. And actually Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who's famous for coming up with the social contract. He actually said that, that we were all born with natural compassion. And even this guy, you know, goes by Chuck or Charles, could be Charles Darwin, mm. right? Charles Darwin has said the same thing, right? We all have compassion that we're born with, and we unlearn it through society. Or you can learn it as well. So if you unlearn it, you can, you can learn it. And what they meant by unlearn... Through your experiences? Yes. Or, okay. Right, everyday experiences. So even it starts on the playground, Tracy. Right, it's that what do our kids play in the United States? They play a game called King of the Hill. Right? <laughs> so you push all the kids down to stay on top, and that's a game we play. Other cultures don't play that game. Right? We also play a game called Kill the Carrier, where we toss <laughs> the ball at somebody, and then you try to pummel them to Kill. the extreme. Right? They have to run for their lives uh, or, or run around. And that, that's shocking me that our kids, that's what we... You know, teach them to play on the playground. That's what they And they that's learn. the goal, is to be king of the hill. And to put other people down to get to, to the get top. To get there, right. right. And what Charles Darwin said is quite the opposite. That actually is the lead to the extinction of a species, the thinking like that. He says that the species that will move up the evolution on your ladder the most efficiently and effectively is the species that will have the greatest number of his members, and this is his word, that are sympathetic. That means altruistic generous and compassionate to each really? other. Yes, that's Charles Darwin. That's I was just going to say, so how, how do we, well, maybe I'm, you know, out to lunch here, but <laughs> I, when I hear Charles Darwin, I always think of survival of the fittest. I mean, how did he, so he's kind of, it sounds like he's talking out at both sides. No, so, so Tracy, no, he's not. So he's not, so the people, we, we get the bumper sticker version Okay. Okay. Yeah. Of Charles Darwin. So he had an hypothesis on the origin of the species that said something like survival of the fittest. Believe it or not, he never coined the term survival of the fittest. It was a guy that named was his Spencer. Tagline or something, <laughs> yeah. Right? Then Spencer gave that to him. Right? And so this idea that what what Charles Darwin meant by survival of the fittest, people took the hypothesis, right? Hypothesis is just a fancy way of saying guess. Right? One of his guesses before he did his research was that maybe those um, species would be self-interested, right? They would, right? That was one guess. Mm -hmm. But what he found out in his research was quite the opposite, especially in the descent of man. 
And if people want to go to the Son of Man, go to chapters 2, 4, and 5 of that book, and that's written towards the end of his career. So now we can see what he actually found in his research, right? We're taught his hypothesis in the very beginning, but we're not taught what he actually found. What he actually found was survival of the kindest. That's sympathetic. That's what he found. But we don't get taught that. We no, get, you never hear that. No. And that's what I mean. We, people take off what they think they glean from maybe a footnote, maybe from something they heard from somewhere. And without diving deep into it, anybody can get Charles Darwin's work now. It's all on iPads and you can get them for free. You know, and I made sure I got both hard copies and, <laughs> and the electronic copy because I wanted to be able to take it around with me too. Because some people just didn't believe it. And I said, you search for it and see what he says about survival of the fittest and send a man. He says it's a load of crud. Wow. And so, but survival of the fittest, if you want to take it as that phrase, it doesn't mean self-interested, looking out for yourself. It means actually helping others. And by helping others, you're helping that society, you're helping that community, helping that town. Right? And so a team that helps each other is a team that has a very strong, weak link. Right? Because we're only as strong as our weakest link. And if we let everybody just float by themselves and we don't help each other, our weakest links become even weaker. Right. right? And they're going to bring us down. And- so why don't you help the weak links move on up? It makes our society, it makes our towns, it makes whatever team you're on even better, even stronger. So I can't understand why we let people down. I also, that's a whole other discussion. I believe that everyone's sacred. Mm-hmm. And we should never take a life. And to me, we, we, we put people in levels of dignity. And I think that's one of our downfalls. I, I think we're all, this, oh, we our sacredness is the same level. We pigeonhole people and yeah. we make assumptions. And, and that, that bums me out a lot. And, and so one of the things I wanted to do is write a book with the science behind it. Right? Because mm-hmm. when we talk about compassion, people think, oh, it's so soft. You become a freaking doormat, right? And, <laughs> right? and, and it, it's really, it's a sign. So give me your, um, what is your thumbnail sketch of compassion? Like, okay. I mean, I know what I think of compassion, but you tell me what okay. you think it is. It's got two parts. Okay. Okay, so it's the first part. It's this 360-degree holistic understanding of a problem or suffering of another. Okay, that's the first mm-hmm. part. So you got this kind of complete overview, this eagle eyes view and understanding, right, of a problem or suffering. And then part two is a commitment to act. You actually freaking do something about it. You just don't stand there and say, oh, yeah, I understand it. Man, that stinks for you. Um, go so on. is that where empathy comes in? Like, what's mm. the difference between compassion so, and empathy? There's a big difference. And neuroscience has actually proven the big difference, too. So empathy is having the same feeling as somebody. That can help you with understanding, right? But you don't need to have empathy to have understanding that someone's suffering. At least I hope you can understand when someone's suffering. When that you, you hear somebody's story. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. When, for example... I'm a Mets fan. I'm suffering right now. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I'm sorry. You can understand that without becoming a Mets fan, right? I'm not going to become a Mets fan. No, not too many of us are. We establish a network here on campus, a network to help each other out, right? And we're strong. Anyways, that's a whole With compassion. (laughs) Yes. We're going to do it. We've got the blue and orange in our blood. Right. So, but empathy can also bring you down. 
Okay. Right? Because if someone is feeling depressed and you and think... And you're taking on those feelings. What is right? that going to do to you? Or it takes you down. And Tanya Singer, Dr. Tanya Singer from um, Leipzig, Germany, has actually proven that when you think in an empathetic way, you use the same neural networks in your brain as pain, when you're in pain. Hmm. But when you think in a compassionate way, you use different neural networks. This is what she's shown. You use the neural networks of love. Hmm. So if you're in love, does love, if it's right, right? If it's not the jealous <laughs> flaming right. down, right? When you're, like my, the way I feel about my wife, it never ceases. It keeps growing. And it's a very positive feeling. I yeah. Mean, I can never imagine if you're really in love. I mean, not to say that we don't fight, whatever. No, but I if you still disagrees. really love somebody, that doesn't go away. Right. And it keeps going. Mm-hmm. Right? It keeps building. So when you give love, it's like, oh, I have so much love reserve. No. Everyone has, right? The yeah. same amount. Right? And they keep growing. It, when, the more you give love, the more love you get. Same thing with compassion. But how about pain? Yeah. No, not so much, not right? So, much. so empathy, right, is the same neural networks as, as, as pain. And compassion is the same neural networks as love. love. So even our brain knows the difference. And compassion is this feeling kindness to someone, if you want to put it in simple terms, right? So, so empathy is feeling this, having the same feeling as someone. And compassion is having kindness towards someone. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. And compassion is two-part. And you can make more compassion, just like love, like yes. what you talked about. Yes. I mean, my dad had this very strange notion of love was like a pie. So if you've got eight people that you're going to love, mm. you divide that up. Oh, man. I know, well, right? That's... That was really messed up. Yeah, hopefully, <laughs> and hopefully over the years, you know, he's come to realize that you don't just slice up the pie into, you know, more pieces um and then every person that piece is going to diminish because it's smaller man that's so sad right but the pie just gets bigger you just make more pies right so right so you're saying you can do the same thing with compassion unequivocally yes and so one of the things that you know i do with my kids is that i i tell them i love them to infinity and right use buzz light here yeah yeah to infinity and beyond yeah right um and it's using things that they know, like Buzz Lightyear, right? Mm-hmm. To connect with them to show that you can have love that's never ending, right? And there is this thing called infinity, right? And, and, and to me, I think we box ourselves in, and a lot of times, thinking we're protecting ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's quite the opposite. Because when we box ourselves in from compassion and love of others, we're losing opportunities to make ourselves stronger. And that's what I'm arguing in the Compassion Achiever. We can go so much farther, so much higher when we're together. And I say compassion, it's never lonely at the top, right? Sometimes you hear some people say, it's oh, it's lonely at the top up here. I'm, <laughs> I'm super successful and I did right. it all myself. Bull honky. And that's my personal swear, right? That, and they not will the not be on the show because those <laughs> right. are not the compassionate achievers. Well, you know what? Maybe right? we have a couple of them and... We, and pick their brain. Yeah, and see yeah. what that could be fun. Yeah, that right? could be good. Yes, and and then Scott we'll and Peter like, have to drag us out. Right, <laughs> exactly. Um, we'll be camping out. But. Right, but the, you know, I never thought about that. And when you brought that up, I think maybe we try it and see if 
Well, they, they obviously have some reasoning for it. I think a lot of times when you talk about people putting themselves in a box, it's a fear factor. Mm-hmm. They don't want to get That's hurt. That's a good point. Um, and so what's our instant wall is to put up that fear factor. And if you don't go there, then you don't get hurt. Yeah, man. You know, so if you don't put yourself out there, which I'm, I'm certainly not advocating that, but I think that's true of a lot of people yeah, that, um, I think you're right. you know, it's just easier not to put yourself out well, and stay in your own little comfort zone. And hopefully we have guests on the show that constantly put themselves out there and they attain this unbelievable success. And what I'm hoping that we all find out together is that together we achieve more success than we ever dreamed of. Right. right. By putting themselves out there and helping somebody else that you're pulling them up, they're not pulling you down. And to be honest with you, Tracy, that's what I feel about when you came to me with the podcast. I didn't know you from a hole in the wall. <laughs> nope. <laughs> right? and, and I just felt this really cool energy and I was like, you know what? Let's go for it. Let's see how this goes. Let's, let's rock and roll. Right. And, and it's funny. Things are falling into line. I mean, there's beautiful podcast studios here um, that were, I didn't know existed. And it's 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 taking off, and yeah. it's something that you know we didn't know each other, and we're going out on the ledge together, right? <laughs> I love that. I love that. And hopefully, if one of us goes over, the oh, other one we'll will grab. be there. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah. But that's what you do, as to me, as people that are compassionate about one another. So you say you have to have action. Yes. So in. In what ways? I mean, is it something that you, it's not obviously physical action. It could be. Could be, right? right? It could be. But so what else could it be? It I could, mean. That's a great question. All right. So it's about doing something to help someone else, right? Okay. It's this commitment to act. And sometimes you might not have the capabilities, right? It might not be in your, your wheelhouse, mm-hmm. right, to help someone. So you connect them with someone that can help them. You just don't leave them on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. Right, that you know that you know if someone has a flat tire. You can call the state police and let them know that there's a car broken down. Mm-hmm. Right, you don't have to be the one that actually stops over and 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 changes the and tire. Does it. I, I've done that before, but you can be the person, and you're going to help that person just as much by calling a state police to let them know that there's a driver on the side of the road. And we know how many people have been hit, right, changing their tires, or even state policemen have been hit. So you want to get them off the road and you want to help them, mm-hmm. right? So you can call. You can connect them to someone else to help them resolve a problem, right? So it's, it's, not, it's not washing your hands of it, right? Empathy is literally just having the same feeling. Mm-hmm. There's no action to empathy, right? But Com- compassion has the dual, you've got to have the two parts. Yes. You have to take action. You know what? And could it's- that action be something as little as you know, sharing your thoughts about what they might be able to do. I mean, yeah, come up with a plan. Is that right? And then, but you know what? Some people need you to walk them over to like a counseling center or something, mm-hmm. right? They, you just got to take that extra, that extra step. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many times that that extra step has come back to help me in ways I couldn't even imagine. Tenfold. You just, and that's not why you do it. But I think we discount the helping. In our society too much, in our culture too much. Mm-hmm. We, we, we think it doesn't come back. And I think if you just think about who gave you opportunities along the line. 
And I think that um, I've always felt this, and this really struck a chord when you were talking about this in the um, book opening. You um, mentioned a story of a child who was really kind of stuck in a, a hard space. And um, then he went out and tried to help others. And it really ended up helping him more so. I mean, I think that people, if you actually look back in your life, that's happened so many times. When you're down, if you can actually muster up enough energy to actually just do something just really little maybe to help somebody else, it really comes back to you and makes you feel so much better. And that's exactly what It's like what giving, giving yes. gifts. I mean, it's not about the gifts, but don't you get so much more joy of seeing somebody opening that than yeah. somebody handing you something? Without a doubt. And that young man, he's now a young man, he was a young boy when his brother was murdered. Mm. And he was murdered with quite a few other people in a schoolhouse. And around here, it's Sandy Hook, mm-hmm. right? And this young man, his name's JT, he reached out to other people who went through a genocide and sent those people to college. He raised enough money to send them to a university in their country. And by helping them, he helped himself come out of his you know, mm-hmm. major hole. And his mom tried to get him to all types of therapists. Nothing worked. The only thing that worked, that JT found for himself, was by helping others. And I think you're right, Tracy. When those of us who are down and we can muster it up, like you say, um, man, you you come out of it, mm-hmm. right? And it makes you stronger. And you know, listening to you, you know, reminded me of the story. It, compassion. I, I think of two people, two faces came flowing in when I was listening to you. And you're gonna, you're probably gonna walk out on this podcast now. Uh, <laughs> the first one is the Dalai Lama, which is probably you're like, okay, I can see that. Mm-hmm. But the other one's Bruce Lee, <laughs> right? Bruce oh, Lee's okay. A- <laughs> well, that wasn't expecting that one. Okay. Because so about why action. do you say that? He had he was very thoughtful and he was all about action and it's about mm-hmm. making a change, right? And the Dalai, Dalai Lama, it, for me, he was one of my greatest teachers about compassion. And I mm-hmm. still learn from him and still learn from his books, the Dalai Lama. But Bruce Lee also had this calm fierceness about him. And in Buddhism, uh, I'm not a Buddhist, but I, I, I read a lot of um, Buddhist uh, literature because of their take on compassion, which is different from other cultural takes, which is also something very different and cool to, to learn. But Buddhism has this phrase called fierce compassion. Hmm. And I love that. So right? what does that mean? What's different about that? So when in our society, right, when you think of compassion, you think you're a doormat, right? Oh, right. they're you so mentioned annoying. it before. Right. It's kind of a weak thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. He's soft. Sappy. Yeah, yeah, it's happy and He's soft. Sappy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where you put fierce in front of it, it's like, rah, right, the lion comes mm-hmm. out, right? And, and that's the thing. A lion could be soft and it could be fierce hmm. right? at the same time. And, and I think... Fierce compassion is, is that idea where you can attain what you want to achieve, but you can do it in a way that brings up everyone around you, mm-hmm. right? And it's just thinking outside the box. And I was fortunate enough to work in places where things were like that, where you know you can bring others up while you're succeeding, right? and and that 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 just becomes contagious. And and you brought up in the book, um, and I think you brought it up 
that night as well. I keep going back to your um, first uh, talk where I heard you. So you you talk about um, radical candor. Mm. Um, so can mm. you have radical candor and be so upfront with somebody, um, but still? you know, have compassion? Is that where the fierce oh, compassion See, comes in? Well, you know, that's a great question. Uh, no, I, I would I would say radical candor and, and some, in the business literature, they also call it front stabbing. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's <laughs> really nice. And that's supposedly a hot topic over mm-hmm. the last few years. Oh, a lot of companies. Radical I mean, candor. Are really embracing it. And, and, and it gets... To another C word, right? We, we our C word is compassion for the podcast, but I think connected to compassion is this other word called civility. Mm-hmm. And I think radical candor and front stabbing leads to incivility. And the literature on incivility and what it does for um, businesses is is crazy, astronomically bad in terms of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> businesses are supposed to be about earning money, but Incivility is one of the leading causes of stress, and stress leads to various types of health conditions like heart attacks and, and strokes and, and depression and people missing work and not wanting to go to work because they feel like it's a hostile environment. And so this radical candor movement and front-stabbing movement, to me, is something that takes down a team. Mm-hmm. Right? You can be honest with somebody and do it in a compassionate way. You can have constructive... Be civil about it. Yeah, you can be civil. And, and, you know, one of my all-time favorite books is Albert uh, Camus, The Plague. And it's all about civility. And I wish I had a copy with with me here. Mine's all dog-eared about the importance of civility. And the book is basically about how civility can conquer anything. Hmm. How incivility leads to this plague. A destruction. Destruction, Mm -hmm. right. And so... When you dress up in civility and fancy word clothes like radical, radical candor, candor. <laughs> yeah. and not so fancy clothes yeah. as front stabbing, yeah. um, which I think front stabbing is more what it is, right? So instead of backstabbing, you're you're just front stabbing. You're just that, coming right up to somebody and saying yeah, what you think. You, you, it's you like people can, have lost yeah. their filter. <laughs> in a way, yes, but they lost their filter to have respect for others. Mm-hmm. Because would you want to be talked to in the way front stabbing talks to? I wouldn't. No, I, I mean I I'm a very sensitive person, and and I, you know, my husband's always saying, "Don't take it personally." I take everything personally. <laughs> if you're talking to me and you're talking about me, right. I take it personally. And, and I think we're about success, right? It's supposed to be our society. And for me, I think success has been limited to the individual. Mm-hmm. Right? And success, when you want to attain success at a high level and a sustained level, it has to be more than just about you. Mm. Right? Because if you're running an organization, no one's going to be... You, you know, can't run it alone. No, and no one's going to want to work for a narcissist. Mm-hmm. Or at least I wouldn't want to work for a narcissist. So, you know, it's, it's this idea of listening to each other, mm-hmm. understanding each other, connecting with each other, and helping each other solve you know, the different problems that pop up all the time, right? I think you should be able to say what problems there are, but you can do it in a way that's respectful and civil. Right, and I think that's what we've lost when I'm, I'm talking about this filter. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. people okay. just feel like they have the, the right to just come up to other people and say, you know, 
I don't like the way you're doing this and you know you shouldn't be doing it like that and 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 really in very critical ways so I I would hope that um, <laughs> compassionate people even while they're trying to achieve would would try and implement a little bit more compassion I mean so what um, and and I want to get into the book more um, but I know as far as time goes um, but what what's the one thing that you would love for somebody to walk away with after they read this book? What's like what's the message behind it? Well, you can achieve success at a higher level and a more sustained level for over a longer period of time if you weave compassion into your game plan, mm-hmm. right? And into your tactics, into your strategy. Uh, and I don't care what it is. It could be on Wall Street. It could be in a classroom. It could be on a baseball field. It could be anywhere. And I think compassion, you know, we usually talk to, at least I was, that you got to have grit, right? you got to have intelligence. you got to have talent. But compassion was never a part of the equation. But yet, when I saw the people succeed for a long time, and at a high level, they did take care of other people. Mm-hmm. And they did look at other people. Don't get me wrong, Tracy. There, there are work jerks who did get to the top. But boy, they flamed I've out. I've worked for a few of them. <laughs> I think we all have. <laughs> yeah. I think we all have. Everybody's got one. Yeah. <laughs> at least. Yeah, exactly. Right? But I learned from them. They flamed out. Mm-hmm. They fell. And when they started falling, nobody was there. to. They, everyone watched them fall. No one there to pick them up. Where the compassionate achievers, when they started falling, they didn't even have to fall very much. There was someone there to stop them from falling. Or if they did fall, there were a bunch of people there to pick them up. Mm-hmm. And wanted to see them succeed. And get back right, on, on their feet. Yeah. And, right. and it, so it's in front of us. And it's, it's in popular press. It's in the business. For example, Enron. Right? Enron was supposedly a model of businesses. Mm-hmm. And all that it cared for was its own bottom line. It never gave back. It drove electricity into the ground so it could drive its profits up. But where are they now? They're gone. Right. They don't exist anymore, right? But yet you have the Patagonias of the world who give back to their communities. And they have not only high levels of success, but sustained success. They're still around. And the Enrons of this world go. They fall apart. And I think if we just look yeah, around kind us... kind of self-implode. If right? you and that's Darwin. Mm-hmm. That's Darwin, you know, an unnatural species, but then take it to... You know, the economy, it's the same thing. And I think we just don't, we're blind. It's our own personal blind spot as a culture. We haven't seen compassion as that, that, that last key factor. And I'm hoping this book brings back, this podcast, brings compassion alive to people's strategies, the way they live their lives. And, you know, for me, we just had Memorial Day, right? And we, we honor those who fell, who sacrificed their lives. But when I was going over the people who I know who lost their lives and served, my uncle, for example, they weren't heroes just because they sacrificed their life. They were also heroes by the way they chose to live their life. Mm -hmm. And choosing compassion as a way to live your life, I think, and this is why the script comes back for me, the music group, you become a superhero in your own world and, and, and for other people. You help other people. And man, it just, 
it builds you up. You can't help but to be up, right? Because yeah, there's some stuff that's going down around you that's, that's pretty much a bummer, but you're helping build that back up, the people back up, the organization back up. And I think if we had more people who felt that way and did that way, man, our, not only would our organizations be flying high, but our communities and society would be flying high. And I, I don't think we, we give enough credence to that compassion. So compassion is inextricably tied to success. And you say, okay, so you mentioned earlier, you think you're kind of born with it, but you can also help it to grow yes. by your experiences. And um, I, I love your book because it's an easy read. It's very, um, it's digestible. But I love it because it's also a plan. So you have a four-step plan in the book yeah. to um, be more compassionate. Luca, right? Yes, so Luca. Tell, tell me about Luca. So L-U-C-A. And Luca stands for, the, the initial stands for L is listen, listen to learn. And we'll get a little into that. U is understand, understand to know. C is connect to capabilities. And A is act to solve. And Luca is, has many different meanings. It's a name, and the name in different languages means basically bringer of light. Really? Yes, and especially in Italian, bringer so of light. So did you know that before you put no. this acronym together? No, or? no. Really? I had it actually, you know, um, I had listening, I had understanding, I had actually to know, and I wasn't sure how I was going to you know, move that around. And I was like, no, you just got to understand. It's part of compassion, it's, right? It's one of the key parts. And how do you understand? Well, you got to listen, mm -hmm. right? If you don't listen, you're not going to understand. Um, and, and then what really got me, it wasn't actually the name. It was something in science, believe it or not. I'm a big science geek. I love sci-fi. I love, you know, anything quantum physics. I love parallel universes. And, and it's okay, a hobby. I'm sorry. You're speaking a different language. <laughs> I can't. And, no, I'm kidding. And I got into... I got into some cool biology that I hadn't learned before, and Luca was one of the things. And that's when it popped out to me. I was like, wait a minute, those are my initials. And in science, it stands for the last universal common ancestor of all life on Earth. And wow, so it has all these acronyms, that all these different things that... And then, yeah. And I, then you applied it to exactly. how to learn to be compassionate. And to me, it makes so much sense because it's part of science, it's part of culture. Right, the so Lucas mean bringer of light and culture, and in science, it's the last universal common ancestor. And I believe compassion is that last common value, virtue, and verb that we all share mm -hmm. uh, together. And so, listening to learn is the first one, and that one's the biggest one for me. You know, if someone's going to come away and not, how do you be compassionate? Well, the first thing you have to do is learn to listen, mm -hmm. and because we're, we're a culture that listens to reply. Mm. Right, we we don't. Or sit we're down. so preoccupied with doing ten things <laughs> at once that we're just you know this multitasking thing. To me, I think it's useless. And Tracy, I, I really, neuroscience backs you up. Neuroscience says it shows no one can do multitasking. You know, people think, oh, this is so great. I'm multitasking. Well, you're not <laughs> doing any of them well. So if exactly. you're trying to listen to somebody while you're multitasking and you're on your phone and you're doing this and doing that. 
you're probably not listening as well as you could be. You know what? Maybe that's the problem with my Mets. Maybe they're multitasking. <laughs> <laughs> just, you, just, you just brought in a new new perspective for me. In, in Maybe you could go over there and have them read the book. Oh, like, man. Tracy, don't even talk like that because that would be a dream of mine. Right? To go to City Field and be with the Mets. Um, I actually, different topic later, but um, I actually, my wife gave me a gift to, be with the Mets for a week, and awesome. you know, yeah, it was awesome. She, like I said, I married way above me, and <laughs> <laughs> um, but listening to learn is the first. Understanding to know, I gotta understand to know what you need to do in order to help someone, right? And then it's uh, connecting to capabilities. Sometimes you have the capability to help someone, but sometimes, you, like we talked about before, sometimes you have to connect with someone else and connect those two people together, and and you know, get the problem solved, mm-hmm. and then act to solve. Right. Make sure they connect. Right. Make sure that's that that second component. Of exactly. That commitment to act. Right. A commitment. Right. That to me, when I gave my vows to my wife, to my wife. Right. And I'm to her. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we don't take those commitments as real. You know, I remember my grandfather and my grandmother teaching me the importance of a handshake. Mm. When you shook on something. I tend to hug on things now, though. <laughs> but when you shake, right, when you have that handshake, that was your word. You were going to do it. And it's like your RSVP thing, mm-hmm. right? When you RSVP, right, that's your, one of your pet peeves. I think we forgot that, that importance of the handshake. Your word is, is everything. And I think compassion brings that back because compassion is also having it for yourself and that respect for yourself, right? And if you can't meet your deadlines, if you can't, you know, say that, you know, you're going to do this and help, help someone you know, carry through and then you fall down for no good reason just because you didn't want to do it. You know, that says something about maybe where you have to grow a little. And maybe you have to act for yourself. You and we have to look at look in and say, what do I need to do? And we all hit that, mm-hmm. right? And I, I'm, when I wrote this book, you know, someone asked me, what gives me the right <laughs> to write compassion? And it's not, it's that I was told to do the opposite things of compassion. So I wanted to write a book that showed hardcore science, hardcore economics, hardcore politics of the power of compassion and success. It's not that, you know, I'm a saint, ask my wife. <laughs> right? and it's, We're going to have her on the show, by the way. <laughs> we'll real then scoop. Yeah, then I'm over. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, and it, it's about making a world a more successful and a better place. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's all it's within our power. It's, it's each one of us doing it. And I think we forgot the power of one. The power of one, and I talk about the number in the book, is actually connected to all the other numbers. In, in Mathematics. What way? Mathematics shows the power of one. And we can do a whole show on that. Maybe we have a mathematician in and Ooh, cover that. It would be kind I of like cool, that. right? Yeah. That when you times um, one by any number, what does it give you? It gives you that number. One's a part of every number, hmm. right? So we treat one as distinct, as independent. But even in mathematics, they don't. It's hmm. connected to every other number. And it's right in front of us. We all learned our times tables. I hope we did, actually. <laughs> right? One times well, two Well, half the two. time they don't anymore. You, you know you have a calculator. So it's like, oh, yeah. that, that's not go there. No. That. Um, so but, that's so it is so it's it's connected. One. And, yes. and, and that's what you're saying people need to do by being compassionate is to connect with We're one another We're a social more. species. 
That's how mm-hmm. we survived. We survived over the bigger animals by teaming up together and connecting together. Mm-hmm. This is our own history, but we poo-poo it or we discount it because we think we know better. And I'll, I'll, what I've tried to do, and the footnotes, HarperCollins did a great job. They put all the scientific footnotes in the back. So if you want to go see where I got the, the science from, it's right there. You don't have to go to a different website. They put it all in the back. And that's what I want. I want to have these discussions, mm-hmm. right? Because the people who believe that you have to be so self-centered, that you have to be self-interested in order to succeed, they don't have any science to back them up. They don't even have math to back them up. I want to know what backs them up. Right. Where, Is it their own narcissism? Where they get to that conclusion. How yeah, they get I'd like, love those mm-hmm. discussions. So how did you get involved with compassion? Like, I know you do some other things with compassion. You did the Compassionate Society. Mm-hmm. You're, all, you're all about the compassion thing. <laughs> so so why, how did that come about? Well, it's a funny thing. It's um, I coming to this university, coming to Western Connecticut State University, um, my wife was very, very ill. And she graduated from here, and she was born in a hospital less than a half a mile away. And this was her home in her hometown, and I had taken her away from my service days as a counterintelligence agent. Um, I played baseball up in Boston. I went to school up in Boston, and, and I knew she wanted to be back here, and she was not. The doctors in Boston said she was dying, and she had about six months to live. And so mm. I moved back to the place where I knew she loved, and it's the least I could do. And I... I was writing my doctoral dissertation at the time, and I was at Harvard. And I um, f- talked to my advisors, and they all squared away, and I can do my work down here and then you know, go up every so often up there. And uh, I um, fell in love. I got an adjunct position here at first and uh, fell in love with the students here. Probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> Probably get arrested. <laughs> Love and Not meaning. Not in that way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> in, in respect. In respect. They, their hunger. Their hunger here. They had something to prove here. And the position opened up, and you know, I was like, you know, they, they offered me tenure track, and that's a hard. There's not too many places that offer you tenure anymore or a tenure track, and so I took that here, and and I came here because of my wife, and I'm staying here because of the students, but. Both of them connected me, believe it or not, with the Dalai Lama. We hosted the Dalai Lama here for two days. And it took us, wow, close to five years to get him all the, the things to get through the hoops to get him here. And I didn't want his visit here to be one and done, mm-hmm. a one-time event. And so we started a Center for Compassion, Creativity, and Innovation. I'm the funding director of that. And it, we're, we're involved with so many communities uh, and community organizations. Um, here, Charter uh, for Compassion International with Karen Armstrong. Um, we're involved with them. But what was beautiful was that the students wanted to be a part of it, and the students were driving it. And so I became involved on learning about the compassion in general, just getting ready for the Dalai Lama. And then I realized, whoa, there's more to this than what you hear from the Dalai Lama, at least when it comes from our culture, the Western culture. And so I started seeing the connections with success, but also it made me realize what my wife did for so many years. She's a compassionate achiever. She's helping other people, not because she would get anything from it, just because you know, she knew she wanted to. Right, and, but it came back for successes with her as well. 
And, you know, I, I respect her and not just love her. You know, I think love and respect are together, but she's a person that I think I would love for so many other people to meet. Mm-hmm. And she rubs off on, on you in, in such a positive way. And, and so it made me kind of rethink and re-look at so many aspects of parts of my life and, and the people that allowed me to share their lives with. And I realized, oh my gosh, <laughs> compassion's the key. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and compassion was everything. And, and, and I was told the opposite by mm-hmm. my mentors, my bosses, my coaches. And it really bothered me. And so I wanted to find out more. And then my critics were talking about Charles Darwin. So I was like, you know what? I just got to read all of Darwin. And then when I did, it's like, my critics don't know Darwin. They're using Darwin, but they don't even understand what Darwin wrote. I was so excited just by listening to my critics. Right? And it goes back to your Luca. It helped me succeed. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't listen to them, I, I, I wouldn't have written this book. And by the way, I just want to circle back that your wife is okay. Yes, right? yes, she like, is. <laughs> yeah, she gave. Just wanted to leave that on a high note. Natural birth to three boys, all underwater. So Amazing. she is. She's a strong, strong person. Yeah. Yeah. So she's healthy. She's, she's healthy now. Oh, yeah. good. Yep. Yeah. Well, she certainly was very infectious <laughs> when she got up and spoke and introduced you. And so you're obviously both very compassionate about one another and about the topic. Yeah. Too. Uh, well, so, I don't know how you, I think compassion and passion, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's, well, it's, it's part together. of it. It is. Part of the word, <laughs> you know. With, with passion. Yeah, right? exactly. That, um, well, I look forward to the next podcast. Um, first of all, I think we should tell people where they can find the book, um, right? I mean, yeah. The book can be found in any place. You can buy uh, a hardcover or electronic, so you can get it on Amazon, in many different forms, even in audio. Audio uh, library has them. Um, so you can get it in many different forms at Barnes & Noble, um, any indie bookstore, um, Amazon, HarperCollins, anywhere. anywhere. Anywhere you can find a book, and it's all across the world now. And it's called The Compassionate Achiever, How Helping Others Fuels Success by Dr. Chris Cook. It was great to talk to you. Well, thanks, And I look forward to the next one where we're going to actually have some compassionate achievers join us. Uh, Yes, and that's, and I'm hoping what we learn from our guests is how we all can unleash the compassionate achiever within ourselves to unlock our own success. So my hope is that we get these really cool different ways of unleashing compassion within us to achieve success in whatever field we're in, whatever we want to do. We wanted to be the best dad. Mm-hmm. You wanted to be the best boss, or you wanted to move up a, a ladder. And how do you do it where you can bring success, not just to you, but to everyone around you? And, and I hope we get that. Find those nuggets from yeah. each of these people. That That's what I'm hoping we get. Bring different things to the table. And speaking of radical candor, (laughs) you are cut off at the knees. You're done. That's it for today. (laughs) That's going to wrap up our first podcast. That went by fast. It did. Yes. And hopefully for the listeners, it went by fast. (laughs) (laughs) They're not snoozing their way into nowheresville that no, but it was great to uh, do this and have you here, Chris. And I'm so looking forward to our next 
Compassionate Achiever podcast. Be sure and uh, subscribe to WCSU Media so you don't miss a thing. And we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.